0: The Gucci Girl, Prada Professional, Coach Queen, or Target Trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, president at Lola Red, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now, please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Ritan.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to First Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch First Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn you and your company can corner in the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, first up, uh, a little article I saw on media post Engage Affluent by Frank Rullio. He's the manager of Corpcom at Conversation LLC, And his article was on marketers having had to adjust to the changing shopping habits of the affluent. Now, we know that affluent shoppers can be a huge indicator of what's going to happen with the other marketplace. Uh, Unity Marketing's luxury um, consumption index is what Frank is talking about um, in his article and we've had Pam Danziger on from Unity Marketing in the past so you're familiar with her. She's saying that consumer confidence dropped sharply in 2014. Now it's been interesting, consumer confidence has been on the down low for quite some time. We saw some inklings of that um, itching up over recent months but apparently overall so far it's down. Um, according to Frank, it's at its lowest level since 2008, which is pretty interesting. And instead of pursuing material possessions, apparently, the top 20% of income earners are putting most of their financial gains toward savings and investing. Now, we saw a lot of this in 2006, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, and, of course, you know, being affluent, that's what you do to become more affluent, right? You save and you invest. Well, apparently what's happening is shopping is becoming more of an afterthought. Um, it's really, you're not going to find these folks in the mall on a Friday. Uh, if they're going to go at retail or they're going to go online to shop, they're doing it because they have a specific purpose. Um, that That's across the board, whether you're affluent or non-affluent. Um, getting consumers to notice your brand on the store shelf is less likely in 2014, according to Frank Rulio. Um, and you really have to work harder as a company to make sure your brand is popping off that shelf. A lot of it, in fact, has to do with the conversation you have with your target demographic in advance of them ever going into retail. And now more than ever, we have the ability to connect with the consumer on a one-to-one basis. So that's going to be hugely important as consumer confidence continues to drop. Uh, Another tip, according to Frank, is you need to have good presentation. A good presentation has a lot to do uh, with people taking your brand for real. It also equals um, uh, good reputation. A lot of this comes in the form of attentive and helpful customer service, uh, having a reliable product. All of these um, are going to be worth paying more for. A lot of this is steered by word of mouth and reputation, um, even more so than say, uh, uh, according to Frank. Experience is still important, Um, according to him and the uh, and Pan Danziger at at Unity Marketing Luxury Consumption Index. Affluent consumers are still spending on experiences, and apparently fine dining and and travel were both up in the first quarter of 2014 and um uh... as luxury brands continue to gain an edge creating a mem- memorable brand experience is a good bet according to frank so something to keep in mind especially if your target is that in- affluent consumer well our first profile today is a nicole miller networker she's definitely among the affluent she's in her late 40s and 50s self-employed runs her own small to mid-sized business um, you know making a pretty good uh, how- income over 75k which is as we all know above the average Household income has a parent is a parent of children in high school or college. Nearly two million of these women out there, influenced by fashion, fashion magazines help determine the clothes they buy. They want to keep up with the latest fashions. They like to stand out in the crowd. Uh, they consider themselves a workaholic, and of course, we all know they own their own businesses, so they probably are. They want to get to the top of their career, and they consider themselves to be highly ambitious and motivated. They do, however, like to live in the moment, take advantage of everything that life has to offer, and they do look at work as a career, not just a job. They value quality items, so they are willing to pay more for quality goods, and they're open to trying new things. Um, They will go out of their way to find new stores, to shop new venues, to switch things up, although they do like their brands. and When we talk about brands, uh, where are they shopping? Well, they do a lot of shopping at Williams-Sonoma, Bloomingdale's, and Nordstrom's. They're all really popular when it comes to vehicles. It's Volvo and Lexus. Um, and even Lincoln and Cadillac are on that list. Designers, um, Chanel is a big one, and Calvin Klein also topped that list. So if you're going to interact with her, uh, you can do so through a lot of earned media, Um Food and uh, House and Garden, Entrepreneur, Better Homes and Garden, uh, Martha Stewart, Arc Digest um, are all very popular ones and uh, people is among that. They're on cable, watching HGTV, HBO, uh, CNN, Food Network, TLC. We're also, are also big with this uh, particular woman. And they're big eBayers. Uh, I think everyone is into eBay these days. eBay, and then they're booking... Uh, A lot of travel, because these women do travel, so Travelocity is also popping for this particular woman. Well, my guest today, I'm really excited to have them on business over the years, and they are now sharing their experiences and approach uh, with other businesses as consultants, authors, speakers, and workshop leaders. I'm talking about Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey. Uh, They are the founders of, of, drumroll please, you know them, you love them, yes, Barefoot Wines. And uh, they've co-authored the New York best time, uh, best-selling time, best business book called The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. And if you haven't um, had the wine, well, I don't know what rock you've been under because they've, they've had great success since they started there. Their brand back in their laundry room in 1986, imagine that, no money, no wine industry experience, and yet they managed to build this blockbuster wine brand. How did they do it? Well, a lot of, in large part, they pioneered what they called the Worthy Cause Marketing Plan and Performance-Based Compensation. A lot of it's in their book, and they're here today to talk about their book as well as the other things that they're doing around the Barefoot spirit, which also chronicles the history and lessons learned building that popular barefoot wine brand. They're busy co-authoring weekly, uh, no nonsense business blogs, and we're going to tell you more about that in just, just a minute. So stick around. It's going to be a very uh, fast-paced and informative half hour. Michael and Bonnie will be with us after the break.
0: First Strings will be right back afterward from our advertisers.
2: BruceClay.com You rely on your website to promote your business and while you're busy doing what you love you need a site that can keep up GoDaddy web hosting is built from the ground up for lightning speed, reliability, and rock-solid performance. It includes over 150 free apps like WordPress and Drupal to build and manage your site. And with 99.9% uptime and industry-leading load times, you never have to worry if your site is up and running. Visit GoDaddy.com and enter code HOSTFM to get web hosting for $1 a month, plus a free domain. Some limitations apply. See website for details.
1: Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for
2: happy hour. You're already done for the day? Mark and Robin sponsor seller meetup groups, share shipping tips and tricks through social media, and always love talking to customers and helping solve shipping challenges. Check out the website at bubblefast.com. Sign up for the Bubble Briefs newsletter to join the Bubble Fast family. Use promo code WMR to get a 5% discount or call Mark and Robin at 877 599 7447. Happy shipping from Mark and Robin at Bubble Fast.
0: Purse Strength is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Ritan. Welcome back to First
1: Strings. Joining me today is Michael Cahulahan and Bonnie Harvey. They are the founders of Barefoot Wines. I'm sure you've heard of it. And they've also co-authored the New York Times best-selling business book, The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. How did they do it? With no money and no wine experience. Well, it's all in their book, and they're here today to talk about some of the things that they learned and pass it along to you. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Maria. We're happy to be here.
1: Well, I'm thrilled to have you both on before we get into the nitty gritties For everyone who may not have heard of Barefoot Wines, and I don't know why anyone hasn't, Talk a little bit about Barefoot Wines and, um, and really, you know, how you started it and uh, really what prompted you to do it with no money and no wine experience.
3: Well, I think our mission statement says a lot. It was best wine at the best price. And that certainly got a lot of attention.
4: And uh, we went after a different market. We actually went after a female market, 37-year-old with two and a half kids you know, a professional, basically moms, uh, who were looking for Tuesday night wine. They wanted wine that was dependable, you know, everyday wine that, uh, that they, they could depend on the consistency and the flavor profile. So it was a little bit different than the vintage wine business. As a matter of fact, it was non vintage blends. And uh, we even had a female winemaker who made the wines for us so that they would live up to those expectations. But when we got started, we didn't know anything about the wine business. We didn't have any money. Um, and so we had to ask a lot of questions. So what, the way that we got started was uh, Bonnie had a client who was uh, owed a lot of money by a winery that uh, had just uh, declared bankruptcy. And I had to go negotiate a settlement. And the only thing I could get from this bankrupt winery was wine and bottling services, Well, that's great, but it's not money. So we had to take that, you know, to the supermarkets and say, okay, what shape and size and flavors, you know, do you want this product in so we can convert the wine into money to pay the debt? Uh, And in the process of asking those questions, we were told quite a bit of information that helped us put the Barefoot Wine Program together.
1: I love that story. I love it. It's kind of the twist on you made lemonade out of lemons. You actually made great wine out of what could have been sour grapes. So, (laughs) I love that. That's great. (laughs) And and at the time, though, I have to ask, you know, here you are. You're trying to, you know, make the best out of this debt. Uh, Did you even think at all you would be as successful as you ended up being?
3: Well, that's funny. Actually, I, I did. When we were designing the label, The whole vision of the label kind of came to me all at once, after we'd asked a lot of questions and kind of have been thinking about it for some time. Um, But I saw the product uh, being stacked in the chain stores, and I said, this is going to be a huge success. So I guess I saw the future. It wasn't really illusions of success, but it was seeing the future.
1: Well, and, and what I really love to hear is you understood your target market. I mean, you were very specific about who you were going after. You weren't trying to launch this wide net. You were being really targeted, um, and uh, you knew what she wanted. You had, had a, a, a female winemaker who uh, understood the consumer. I mean, all of that was extremely, extremely thoughtful. I'm sure some of it had to play a role in the success, but there were other things, though, that were very critical to your success. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Well, we used guiding principles for success is what we are calling it now. We've actually put down these guiding principles that we used, and the overriding principle that allowed us to succeed was the golden rule. We put ourselves in the other guy's shoes. Everyone that we dealt with, if we were buying from them or selling to them, if we were hiring them, if it was a distributor, a retailer, a wholesaler, if it was the general public that was buying our product, we always did our best to put ourselves in the other guy's shoes, see what it was that they needed, and respect their desires and their needs and their form of communication so we could work with them in the most efficient manner.
1: Well, and it sounds like you you that benefited you definitely in the short term and the long term, creating those partnerships that were built on trust and mutual respect. But then how do you build a brand? You know, how do you raise awareness of a brand new brand with a target as, as you said that, that wanted Tuesday night wine and I love that? They weren't your traditional wine connoisseurs. So talk a little bit about driving that awareness.
4: Well, it was it was tough. You know, a lot of people think that uh, brand success is a result of marketing, you know, a cute label, a great slogan, a great price, and a great product. But that's not it at all. It's, it's really about understanding and managing the distribution system. Because for us, in order to just get into the marketplace was tough with, with such limited amount of shelf space and such a massive number of brands. So how did our brand get in? So one of the things we did was we asked the supermarket buyers where there was an opening, where there was a slot, where there was a place where something needed to be that did not exist. And they told us, they said, you know, wine, uh, you could probably uh, gain access to the market with a 1.5-liter bottle. Now, that's the big magnum. It's not the 750 that we think about as the standard wine bottle size. This is twice the size. So that was an interesting insight, and that helped us. So we started off with Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc in this large size, and that's all we had. And I guess that's one of the lessons that we learned and that we tell other people is, you know, before you finish designing your product, before you finish designing your label or your package, go talk to the distribution system and see what they want and see what, is, what they'll allow and in that process, you go back to the drawing boards and you design it for them, and that gets you in. After you've been there a while, then you can have the luxury to expand into other flavors, other sizes, other packages. But to get in is really a, a lucky break.
1: Well, and you clearly spent a lot of time building those relationships and listening and then refining your product for that distribution system uh, and innovating, you know, in the ways that you did, especially when it comes to who you were trying to really position the product to. And clearly that's, that's some of how you grew. But you also made some other innovations and you also founded some, discovered some new territory. Talk a little bit about that if you would.
3: About the new territory, well, the new territory was uh, beer drinkers. We brought people in (laughs) by being friendly, by having a name they could pronounce and a logo they would remember. We were uh, very accessible. We were friendly, and we got the attention of people that weren't wine drinkers, and those were the beer drinkers. And also the package was really designed for the female shopper. Uh, The women control the spending. When the man says, what's for dinner, honey? What he's saying is you take the money, you make all the plans for the meals, you go to the grocery store and in 20 minutes you buy a week's worth of groceries and you come back, come here and cook. So when she's at the store, she's buying staples for the week. One of the staples she's buying is wine. Barefoot was reliable, it was consistent flavor, it was a good price and so it became one of her staples. And that was a new territory that wasn't thought of in the wine industry at the time, was personal house wine.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and converting beer drinkers is very interesting, because I would think there would be two different palates. But, but this may have been the first time, to your point, that she was ever faced with an option to beer, uh, and an option that she would choose, because as you said, she was the main person going out and purchasing these things for, for the family,
4: Absolutely. The other thing that we did to expand our market was we looked at our customer and said, you know, she's more than just a buyer of a mercantile product. She's more than just a wine consumer. She's a member of a neighborhood that has interests and is concerned about things like clean water and uh, parks for the kids after school, a new library. Uh, you name it, but she has causes that she's interested in. And so, what we did to expand our market is in every new state that we went into, we sent a guy ahead of us who was, we called him a barefooter, and he went into that market and he found out what was important to those consumers that was beyond wine. And then we would supply wines for their fundraisers in the hopes that the members of those groups would now have a social reason to buy our product. And we call that method of expansion and creating new markets worthy cause marketing.
1: You were really ahead of yourselves there. You know, I mean, today we, we hear a lot about cause marketing. I think it's the general term today is cause marketing, but you really pioneered it, didn't you?
3: Well, We were certainly one of the pioneers and we discovered it the hard way. We discovered it because we didn't have any money for advertising and (laughs) we had to get people in to buy our product. It was a new product. Nobody knew about it. We were able to reach out to a lot of people within a certain area around our markets that had our product by going to these fundraisers and it was an excellent way to connect with our customers.
1: Sorry, you guys, I lost you for just a minute. I apologize for that. Hopefully you can see me now. Um, Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check my audio. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about performance-based compensation also because while you pioneered Worthy Cause Marketing, you also stumbled upon another really great innovation for, at least for the time, performance-based compensation. So stick around. More from Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey when Pershings returns
2: after the break
0: purse strings will be racked after a word from our advertisers
2: while some affiliate networks can give you offers affiliate offers network gives you offers that pay big Why do affiliates work with Affiliate Offers Network? How about because they work with powerhouse CPAs like Affiliate.com? How about that affiliates get paid every Monday to kick off their work week? Plus, learn how their green bucket system can turn your email, display ad, social, video, or mobile impression into profitable income. Get connected today with Affiliate Offers Network. Call 312-560-0175 or visit AffiliateOffersNetwork.com. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text radio to 21691. That's radio to for Moby Mantis. Before you painstakingly create another label or drag yourself to the post office, set a course to ShipStation, your key to e-commerce shipping nirvana. Save time by easily importing orders from wherever you sell, like Amazon, eBay, and over 40 others. Save money with discounted USPS rates and a free USPS account. Automate manual tasks through bulk label and invoice printing, custom shipping rules, and much more. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30 days. 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com/slash Webmaster Radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts
3: here.
0: Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Ritan. I've been chatting today with Michael
1: Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey. They are the founders of Barefoot Wines and the co-author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Barefoot Spirit: How hardship, hustle, and heart built America's number one wine brand, and I've learned a lot just in the last 15 minutes of conversation. I learned that Michael and Bonnie began their winery back in 1986 with no money, no wine experience, and basically the result of them trying to get some money from people who couldn't pay them. So they, in turn, received the beginnings of what would become uh, the winery, and really the way it all launched was through listening and being good partners with the distribution system, creating a fantastic label and really honing in on a target that was really untapped before. These are converted beer drinkers, moms in the 37 years old, 2.5 kids, as Michael told me. And um, really, we're looking for that Tuesday night wine, that mainstay for their kitchen, uh, which at that time was an untapped market. So Clearly, you did a lot of things right. Um, You pioneered what you called worthy cause marketing as well. You were really honing in on supporting worthy causes that were important to that woman and their community. Um, So there were many things that you were doing right. But at the same time, I had read that you had a hard time staying on shelf. Talk a little bit about the lessons you learned about the challenges of being a new brand, even when you're doing so many things right.
4: Okay, so when you put your product on the shelf, you have this idea that, you know, if it sells, that uh, the store is going to put it back on the shelf, that they're going to go in the back room, they're going to get it out of the box and put it on the shelf. Okay, so that's not true. Um, You also have this idea that that everything in the store is going to work perfectly, all the tickets and tags and numbers and And uh, UPC codes and scanners, everything that's necessary to demonstrate to that buyer that your product is selling. And, And that's an incorrect assumption, too. So what we found out was that we really had to get on top of the distribution system in order to just keep our product on the shelf. You know, there's a limited amount of grocery store shelf. They're not building more of it. So if you get some, it's really coveted by everybody else. So everybody wants you to run out and not get replaced so that they can have room to put their product there. Um, And so consequently, people who are new, who have a new product, have really got to start in a small area. And when we started, we started too big because, you know, we went to Hawaii. We thought, gee, this is great. Hawaii, you know, everybody's running around barefoot. Half the bars are called barefoot bars. It's a natural for barefoot but what we found out is we had to go to Hawaii in order to put it back on the shelf every month. And after a while, it cost us too much to go over there. I mean, we weren't even getting a tan, you know. So, so uh, we actually pulled out of Hawaii for two years until we had enough money to put a person over there permanently to watch the shelves every day. So that's what we learned. We learned that it was more about vigilance uh, than anything else.
1: Well, and I would imagine that most new brands aren't aware of that. You know, a lot of the hard work is done before you ever make it to the shelf, just as you demonstrated, and that—that that I think probably a lot of brands think that once they made it to the shelf, you know, it's just selling through the product. But really, as you said, it's about vigilance to make sure you're staying on shelf, you're not getting elbowed out of the way. One of the other things that you learned that I've read about is performance-based compensation. Talk a little bit about how this plays such a critical role for you.
4: Well, when you when you hire people, it's really important that they understand where the money is coming from. So one of the things we gave them was a money map, and it started with that 37-year-old mom with the two-and-a-half kids, and she buys a bottle of wine for 5 or $10, and, and the track that 5 or $10, through the grocery store and you see they pay their bills then it goes through the distributor they pay their bills and it gets down to a very small amount of money by the time it gets into their paycheck but now they have no question about where the money's coming from the other thing too that's really important is that when you have people working for you you've got performers and non-performers you don't want somebody to quit your business because they think they can make more money working somewhere else because if they do, they're going to take your customers and all your know-how with you. It's probably the number one cost, hidden cost of doing business is turnover. So what we had was what we call performance-based compensation. So when people really performed, we would give them a piece of the action. We would make sure that they were making more money as a result of their effort. And then other people who couldn't perform, they couldn't afford to work for us. So as we say, if you're paying people right, the performers can't afford to quit, and the non-performers can't afford to stay.
1: I love that, and clearly it was an extremely successful approach for you because you, you grew that business from your laundry room to a, a huge empire, and as successful companies do, you sold that business to a larger competitor. And now you're helping other businesses um, be as successful as you are. I know you're doing interviews like this, you have your blog, and you've, of course, written that book that came out last summer, The Barefoot Spirit. Talk a little bit about how the book has been received. I'm sure, I mean, it was a bestseller, so it was received very successfully.
3: Well, yes, being a New York Times bestseller is quite an honor. And the way the book was written, it's written like a, a business adventure story. So it's really a fun read. And you hardly realize all the lessons that you're getting by reading the stories of Michael and I struggling and the lessons that we learned and the troubles that we had. We're very happy to have our book in about 25 universities that are teaching entrepreneurship. And the students are reading the book, which is even better than having the book in the classroom. We're getting responses from the students such as, this is the first business book I've ever finished.
4: Uh, and that
3: that's uh, really saying a lot. And the reason why is because they're not only being educated, but they're having a fun time. And uh, wine is fun, so it's kind of a foot in the door, if you don't mind the pun, of uh, getting someone's attention And because the stories are so entertaining, it really has been a big hit. But one of the things that we believe in doing is hiring someone who does things better than we do. And therefore, we hired an award-winning writer, a journalist, Rick Cushman. And he took our stories, and he put them in a very clever and amusing fashion. And um, that is a big part of why the book was a New York Times bestseller. It's because we hired an expert to do the writing.
1: Well, and let's face it, it started off with a really great story. I mean, Barefoot Wines is a really great story. You have to have that as the basis. But but you're very kind to share to share the wealth with your author. And and I would agree. Um, in the book, you talk about your guiding principles. You shared many of those today with the listeners listening to purse strings, But there there are some additional principles probably out there that many of us who own our own business or or aspire to own our own businesses should be aware of. Do you want to tick through those quickly in the time that we have available?
3: Certainly. One of the the major reasons why we were successful, and this is something that people that are starting off don't realize, maybe uh, people who have been in business for a while will understand the value of outsourcing you really want to outsource everything you can except quality control sales and accounting and by doing that that frees you up to put your time and energy into the marketplace distribution management and sales and after all it is sales that keeps a business afloat so uh, for instance people think well i want to start a winery or i have a vineyard i should be making wine this kind of thing you really don't realize how hugely expensive it is to build a winery we never had a winery there were plenty of wineries out there that were not their full capacity and we were able to help them and they were able to help us by working together by our outsourcing the same with vineyards we never owned a vineyard there was plenty of vineyards out there that had excess wine and grapes and they wanted to sell those products, and we wanted to buy them. So this worked out very well for us. And in most companies, I think you'll find that there's a lot of things that you can outsource. So you're not putting out that capital, particularly in the beginning of starting a business. That's really unnecessary. What you want to do is make sales.
1: Well, and I think a, uh, a lot of people go into business thinking that they... They're good at one thing, right? They're good, or they may be good at a number of things, and they want to do all of those things. But to your point, sometimes it's smarter to let other people do those, so you can focus on the most critical parts of the business. And I know a lot of these great insights are what you you speak a lot about. That's what uh, you, I know. You're going to universities teaching entrepreneurship. Your book, as you said, is in the hands of a lot of MBA programs. Um, and you're really free with your insights, and I'm sure many people are extremely grateful for that, along with the brands that you work with, I'm sure. Can you share an example before we wrap of a brand that's followed your principles and achieved success, even if it hasn't been success at the level of barefoot lines, because, of course, that's extreme success, but any, any example of kind of a brand that's taken to heart some of the things that you've shared?
4: Yeah, there's a brand that we like. Uh, It's one of our clients. Uh, The name is Vinopro. V-I-N-O-P-R-O. Vinopro. Now, when we met the people at Vinopro, uh, they were like $300,000 90 days past due on their bills. They were in two lawsuits. They had a revolving door uh, for employees. They had lots of problems. And so we worked with them as business consultants, and we actually changed the way that they do business. We reorganized their business plan, their business structure, um, and came up with a new model for them. And instead of doing business like they were doing it, which was buying wine, getting on the phone, calling people up, selling them wine, going to the wineries making the purchase, delivering it to them, collecting the money, going back and doing all this. We said, hey, wait a minute. What you guys are really good at here is, is telephone sales. So why don't you concentrate on that and provide an outsource of telephone sales for wineries, for their wine clubs.
3: And all the services and product they needed, they would outsource.
4: So these guys want and, and pay their people on the basis of production. So today, they are the number one outbound outsource call center for the wine business, and they're number two thirty eight on the Inc five hundred list.
1: Wow! Wow! Congratulations! That's phenomenal! And you know, and who would have thought? You know, if if I were them, I would have thought that I would have needed to continue to do what I was doing. But to your point, you you recognize what they were exceptional at and chose to focus them on that. And I, it seems like that that's really. Um, one of the key traits of a successful business is to figure out what you're exceptionally good at and focus on there. Is that true?
4: Absolutely. I think oh, yes. It's absolutely critical.
1: Yeah. Well, I recommend everyone read the book, whether you're in business or not, or even if you're thinking about business. Um, you can pick up the book online and, and in, in bookstores, but I'm going to drive you online to barefootspirit.com backslash book. Also, uh, Michael and Bonnie have two websites, which I would really hope that you would go on and read. There's blog posts, updated weekly at thebarefootspirit.com, and then thebrandauthority.net also, where you can sign up for an RSS feed to receive weekly posts via email. Michael and Bonnie, I could talk to you for an hour, two hours, and three hours, but I've already kept you over time, so thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your immense
3: Wealth of knowledge. Maria, this has been a lot of fun, and we would love to talk to you for two or three hours as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we
1: could find plenty to talk about. Wine is one of my favorite topics, so even if we just got into wines, I'm sure I could um, hold a fast conversation. But thank you again. look forward to uh, watching your continued success, and thanks for being on today.
4: Thank you, Maria.
1: And thanks, thanks you. to my... Pre- Okay, thank you, Bonnie, and thank you, Michael, and thanks to my producer, George, and join me right here next week for another edition of First Drinks at 3 o'clock Eastern time. Until then, make it a great one.